Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Kate... The sun is sort of shining, but it's only like 75 degrees outside, and I'm so happy after coming off a like heat wave of like 90 degrees earlier for like a solid week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just like, ah, oh, mid to high 70s. This is weather that I can get behind, especially in a house without air conditioning. <laughs> we said the sun is shining. I was like, no, no. We well, hate it's it. like partially, it's partially obscured. Okay. Uh, there's there's enough like heavy gray clouds mm-hmm. um, in the way, but it's out. But it's not like causing my skin it's, to feel hot. Yeah, it's more. not in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or that sounds making lovely. Making my house feel like a hot box. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So no, this week's actually been okay. Um, overall, I've been sleeping really well. Um, I've for the first time in like a while, my person and I have our house back to ourselves because we've had guests basically since two Saturdays ago. (laughs) Uh, So we have like, we've had the house to ourselves for a week. It's been nice to get back into a groove of things. So it's been really, really good so far this week. How has your week been? It has been very busy because yeah, I bet. it is boot camp week, um, which is oh, it's boot camp week. Yeah, yeah. so I've had students make those doing... fingers bleed. I did make a kid drill something a hundred times today. Uh, well, it was like a set of measures that over the course of mm-hmm. the drilling we got to a hundred times, and then another student did fifty times, but needed way more. But we ran out of time. So, um, okay. so so yes, it's been there's been lots of extra lessons this week. So I am not fully caught up on my TV listeners. I still need to catch up on Queen Sugar, and I still need to decide if I'm catching up on Claws. But I am caught up on a bunch of other things. I have not watched Castle Rock. Should we watch Castle Rock? What do you think? I think we should. Maybe I almost started it today, mm-hmm. and then I just went. But I've got this. I've got this episode of Terrace House that I need to finish before we record, so I'm going to watch that instead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe we should watch. Maybe we should catch up on Castle Rock because um, I'm kind of interested in it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I hear good yeah. things. Right, people seem excited. So, um, yeah, I, I, once I'm caught up on on those, I can start seeking out new things. I can start seeking out. Oh, God, I'm going to watch at least a couple of the the Sinner season two, and I already kind of hate myself for it. But But Carrie Coon needs your love. I know. That's why. That is the the reason. And um, yeah, why would you (laughs) keep the the bird as a symbol guy? Oh, man. Anyways, um, lest we get too distracted about terrible, terrible uh, acting choices and writing choices, uh, let's let's go through a couple uh, news things this week. We had a... uh, of course, at, at the as we were recording last week, there was the breaking news uh, about the forthcoming Les Moonves uh, expose by Ronan Farrow and other reporters at The New Yorker about the allegations of sexual abuse and assault and harassment from various people who had worked for and under him. And uh, that was a, obviously a significant story that broke since the last time we recorded. I've read the piece. I'm sure you have as well. Um, and I think... The story here, uh, the for me, the story here is 
that it's not more of a story. And it's during TCAs. And I think that is really disappointing. Um, it says a lot about, I think, the coverage. And it says a lot about the culture at CBS. And I think it's really disheartening because I think when Les Moonves is so far getting away with this, with very little to no reaction um, from the media, from uh, reporters at TCA, from late night, from, uh, you know, other other, you know, executives and, you know, people who are a high profile and high power creatives in television that is just going to show other people that they can do the same thing too. And uh, I just don't really, I don't understand why more reporters aren't forcing people to go on the record about it. Again, it's, it's TCAs. Why isn't this getting asked about more? Because I'm not surprised CBS is trying to sweep it under the rug. I'm surprised so many people seem happy to let them. Yeah, it's been sort of deafening how quiet it's been Mm -hmm. about this. And I don't know if it's because uh, the piece is sort of split between the Moonves accounts and then basically the accounts at CBS News and particularly at 60 Minutes. And whether or not the 60 Minutes and CBS News stuff feels a little old hat, um, because rumors about that within CBS News have circulated for a while, um, that it's just not feeling like it's news, Air quote quotes, unquote. Yeah. Um, but the Moonves thing seems like legitimate news. I mean, Moonves is sort of a broadcast institution at this point. He's been around for decades yeah. as sort of that report makes really clear that he's been around for a very, 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 very long time. And while the article goes out of its way to mention that no one has any stake in coming forward as a result of the Viacom CBS struggles, it's hard not to feel like that's sort of playing into sort of like people's hesitancy to talk about it. If they don't want to particularly rock that boat or for whatever particular reason, um, or if they're just sort of willing to wait until CBS comes forward with its own information, which seems really weird to me. Um, and that they're waiting for that bit of news to come forward and see what CBS is going to do about it. And to which I promptly go, well, why are we waiting on that exactly? Um, uh, when we have a number of reports that indic- indicate a pattern of this kind of behavior from Bez that goes on down the chain, particularly within the CBS News, but also not limited to like um, the guy who's running uh, what NCIS New Orleans. Yeah, Brad Kern. And, thank you. Yeah, Brad Kern. Or yeah, and I think that your point about the degree to which people are getting away with it may be indicative of sort of maybe we're getting a little tired because NBC was just like, oh, you know what? Yeah, no, um, Hardwick, yeah, you can keep hosting the wall. It's yep. fine, buddy. Just yep. keep going for it. And it's just like, um, but you guys saw the thing where his own website just scrubbed him mm-hmm. from existence, right? You saw that. We, we all went through that together, correct? And NBC was just like, nah, it's fine. So I think maybe we're hitting either like a saturation point where this isn't as big as a bomb or we're just sort of accepting it and we've moved on. And this has become, in a lot of ways, part and parcel of how we've been behaving to every ridiculous thing that's coming out of uh, D.C., 
where this is this is normal now. This is the new normal, and we're just sort of rolling with it. Mm-hmm. I've been incredibly uh, frustrated and disheartened with the those reactions with the uh, immediate like like just chill until you get through Comic Con, and then we'll bring you back from AMC and NBC about Chris Hardwick, um, and. I get like I was actually I really appreciated the the thoughtful and I thought very frank um segment or little mini monologue that Colbert did about mm-hmm. Moonves. I thought that was really terrific. But I didn't see anyone else on any no. of the other late night shows say anything. And that's insane to me. And I, when it just shows underlines if you have enough money and I guess people are you still working? I don't know. Like, cause, cause Hardwick's got the Hearst money behind him because he's married to a Hearst heiress. And obviously Les Moonves is really powerful. And, um, it's just, it's really, really frustrating and gross. And it's also happening in the same week when nobody seems to be able to shut up about how excited they are about Mission Impossible. And, I don't understand when when did we all decide that we're okay with Tom Cruise benefiting off of the slave labor of Scientologist cult victims? Um but apparently that's a thing that that has happened and pivoted in the public culture at some point. And don't get me wrong, most the Mission Impossible movies I've seen are fucking awesome. I'm sure I will love the the new Mission Impossible when I eventually see it without giving it any of my money. Mhm. But to see it get so such like loving praise and people talking about how great Tom Cruise is without even an asterisk of, I don't support Scientology, but you're still going to go see Mission Impossible because it's awesome. You know, um, I, I've actually seen more people talking recently about Elizabeth Moss being a Scientologist than I have about Tom Cruise. And the short attention span is... It's just really, really disheartening. So having all three of those happening in the same like span of a couple weeks has been really frustrating. <laughs> Understandably so, and I think it just goes to the discourse of people who have kind of forgotten that Elizabeth Moth is a Scientologist. Um, and while we've all sort of just chalked it up to like Cruz's particular general sort of weirdness, uh, that we're just kind of willing to go, yeah, it's weird. I don't want to think about uh, all the really, really f***ed up things and the people yeah. whose lives he's helped contribute to destroy by convincing them to go off their psych- psychiatric medications and things yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. And I really like my CBS show and I might want to work with Moonves at some point in the future because clearly, you know, allegedly assaulting and, you know, ruining the lives of and careers of many people is not enough to get even like a public condemnation for Les Moonves, so... I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in my people. Where's the righteous fury? I don't expect people, you know, who haven't been following and engaged with the Me Too movement to care. Because obviously they're not gonna. But the people who have been, why is now different is what I want to know. Yeah. And I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. Um, I also, we don't really have an answer for why the rundown with Robin Thede got canceled. Other than apparently there was a shift in the executive personnel. Like, so they're going in a new direction at BET. I don't know, but we really liked that first season and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm bummed it's not getting a season two. I am too. And I missed this news completely until you put it in our rundown. And yeah, it's really disappointing. And I'm hoping that Thede and the rest of her 
rest of the folks that worked on that show are able to find work elsewhere mm-hmm. um, because they put together a really good show um, for like a solid like 24 episodes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. 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 So I'm really disappointed that it's not coming back and I completely missed this news because I'm not as tapped in as I once was. Also, I've just been really busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the there's been a torrent of, of news and things from, yeah. from TCAs and this was one that, you know, if you weren't actively following the rundown as very few people that I, at least that I know were following the rundown, then it would be easy to miss this news. So, um, yeah, it's again, another disheartening thing. Cause what is, what does Robin Thede have to do to get a really good show to get a second, a really thoughtful niche show that fills a niche, right? Get a second yeah. season. Cause she was great on the nightly show. I that shouldn't have gotten canceled after one, but it did. She was great on the rundown with Robin Thede. That got canceled. Um, yeah, let's, I don't even know where would hire her for a similar kind of thing. She's really good at this, guys. Let her be really good at this. <sighs> Anyways, um, happier news, at least. Timeless is getting its, its finale movie. It's two hour big, you know, final. Let's go save Rufus. I'm, I'm glad we at least get that. Yeah, I'm excited for people who like Timeless. I <laughs> am indifferent to this happening. All I will say is that TV economics are weird, man. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know quite what to make of this beyond the fact that someone cut a really good deal with NBC to get this to go ahead, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. But I also wonder how much of this is also indicative of the desire to make sure that you have some sort of a resolution for when people watch this on streaming platforms and the degree to which you want like a little bit of a button on something as opposed to, Oh, it's over. Oh, that's disappointing. And how much of that is like sort of coming into play? Yeah. Word of mouth with telling people, Oh, don't even bother. It ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's interesting interesting um our last piece of news here for the wrestling fans kane has been elected mayor of uh, of a, a, town, a town in tennessee yes a county a, a county county, a whole county. yeah in tennessee county i didn't know that's how mayorship works um I'll... i didn't know either but yeah <laughs> undertaker for medical examiner i don't know his politics i know he ran as a republican it's a very republican area um and defeated a uh apparently it was a close um primary but a his not primary was like super duper close yeah, yeah he only won by like a handful of votes for his primary yeah and then he it was a wash for his for the like, general the actual general yeah yeah but yeah no um he's he's apparently been off like wwe for like a couple of weeks as a result of this in part because of an injury from what i understand <laughs> that'll but do it so <laughs> that, that'll do it but i'm also just like Wow, how weird would it have been if they had, like, done a whole storyline about him running for mayor? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Oh, man. That would have been weird. That, yeah. That, yeah. It is very, very strange. Because, like, wasn't Jesse Ventura, like, hadn't he been off for a while when yes, he ran? Yeah. He had been off for a while, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, well, uh, more on this if it develops, <laughs> but uh, for now, uh, we should get to our Week in TV. This week, we're covering, uh, we're going to dive in with Dietland Season 1, uh, so looking forward to having an, a nice uh, in-depth chat. I have thoughts. I'm not sure what they are, but I know that I have yeah. them about I the end of Dietland. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. more yeah. on that at we'll the end of the that. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, let's take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our Week in TV. 
delightful musical number from this week's DuckTales. More on that in a bit. Um, but first up, we're going to talk about the break with Michelle Wolf, which had its finale Wet Boys. Um, it's uh, So then, so I guess it's off for a while now, and based on the end of the episode, it may be back, but we had our season one finale, so we're going to talk about that, as well as the season as a whole. We're going to talk a bit about the Making It series premiere, Meet Your Makers. Then Noel's going to catch us up with Terrace House opening new doors, which is, this is part three. And then we'll talk ducktail sky pirates in the sky i'll talk a bit about the post finale in the end of that season mother of the year is the finale episode uh we'll move over to clark marvel's cloak and dagger finale colony collapse and we'll wound things up wind things up i should say with winona earps when you call my name and so much to talk about there so first up though is the break with michelle wolf and its finale i thought this was a strong first season of a show but i did i do think it never quite recaptured the strength of like episode four and five um and that's something that i hope that if they come back when they come back for a season two that they can that they can recapture because there were a couple of episodes there that i thought were really terrific and then most of the rest were just like fine and that's kind of how i felt about the finale yeah the finale is very fine their decision to do basically just a long monologue felt like oh Oh, it's the finale. You guys just kind of wanted to like kind of coast a little bit is kind of what it felt like. It felt like senioritis had kicked it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of got a I I got a little frustrated with that. But it was it was it was fine. Um, And I think that the overall tone and tenor of the show is really good. But like you said, it just needs like a little bit of work. But I think that they're they were really just kind of figuring out how it goes. I mean, the post death segment was always a little bit of variety showcase um which i results in really hit or miss type of stuff um and that's fine i think that's good that they're willing to experiment and take those swings as long as there's like a unifying sort of aspect of it the monologue was typically pretty strong the death segment tended to be the strongest aspect um ironically considering how they lampoon those kind of things in like the ninth uh eighth or ninth episode um so it's really good. I think Wolf's voice is really good to have present within this particular landscape. Uh, and I'd like them back for another I'd like them back for another season if Netflix is going to give them that time to do that. Um and not maybe dump them, make them burn six episodes all at once like they did with the Joel McHale show, which did not benefit the Joel McHale show at all. Um yeah. Yeah, I look forward to a second season. I would like to have both this and Robin Thede as weekly voices, yeah. please. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fall into the trap of saying one alternate. is better than yeah. the other or more deserving than the other. But I will say, because I will say we can have both. There's space for both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, we should talk about the Billy Joel thing. That was funnier the first time when, when Tig Nataro did it. 
in, yeah. in her latest special. Now, it's, it's very possible that they just haven't seen it, but I mean. I find that really hard to believe. It's kind of a big, she's, <laughs> Dick Tintaro is kind of a big deal. And yes. I mean, has none of the writers in the room seen it? Did they? I mean, it just, it was the exact same bit. Right, without the actual Billy Joel concert occurring. Yeah. And the Billy Joel jokes were really good is the problem. And then Mm -hmm. it just went, but then I got distracted by the fact that they're just doing a Tignataro bit. And I just went, that was frustrating because that was just a blatant ripoff minus the satisfaction of a (laughs) Billy Joel concert. Well, and Nataro did it. She did it better. But yes, she did. Um, but and it's also it's not like it's she's the first person who's ever done that bit. Of course, of yeah. course. She, but it just was a high profile recent example. So yes. um, yeah, that felt a little derivative. Uh, anyways, mostly je- very positive on Michelle Wolf and right, the break yeah. with Michelle Wolf. And good job, guys. I look forward to season two. Uh, I I also look forward to more of Making It, which had its series premiere. Meet your makers. I've seen all but the finale of this you better believe i watched all those screeners you went ahead and watched a bunch of the screeners okay yeah i i could have slept that night but i was like "Mm, i'm dog sitting i can't the dogs won't let me fall asleep anyways uh i'm gonna watch like five hours and it's probably super easy to watch yeah exactly it's super easy to probably watch just all of this show at once because at at very at the very least the first episode just it goes down so smooth Mm mm-hmm and it's so it's so delightful to watch these people make really neat, crazy stuff. And it's also just really fun to like bask in the chemistry of Offerman and Polar, who are clearly just having a ball hanging out together. Yeah. In this weird sort of setting, and then what and then watching people make things. And so it's just it's a real it's a it's very much when that it's very inspired by Great British um Bake Off. And so that whole vibe, I think they do a really nice job of capturing, even better than like the American version of. Oh, <laughs> way better than all the different versions yeah. of Bake Off that don't have yeah. Melon Sue. Like I've watched right. every yeah. American adaptation of it. The Holiday Bake Off, the one they did with Jeff Foxworthy before, like mm-hmm. they started airing Baking Show over here, and then like, the, yeah, this this is by far the closest anyone's come to capturing that. Yeah. It, it doesn't quite, it doesn't work as well because they don't have a technical, they don't have a way to do that because everybody's backgrounds are so like different. so different. They can't really, they didn't really come up with a way to do that, which is disappointing because the technical is the best part. As we've discussed, yes. it's the best part of Bake Off. Um, that isn't, I mean, other than the people. Um, yeah. And uh, so, so you know, and the judging is also like, I'm skeptical eyebrow <laughs> at these expert judges. Like, I'm sorry, like trend lady. Do you have a vocabulary besides, you know, I've seen this, this is, this is trending like crazy on Etsy right now. It's like, okay. Do you like, what is your background? What is your expertise? Because I don't have a sense that you have actual expertise or that you could make something like this or better. I need to feel like the judges are capable of doing that or better to really appreciate them or like just some other sense that they really, really know their shit. And the the Barney's guy, I think I get a sense of that, but I also feel like he's really limited in his aesthetic and he's really good at assessing if someone is executing something that he, that fits, that he appreciates. I don't know that, um, that he is as great at appreciating really well executed things for a different aesthetic. So I had some trouble with this with some of the judging over the course of the series, but uh, nothing that's enough to keep me from watching the finale, which I will 
happily gobble up. And like, really, so much of it is just like the the pairing of Polar and Offerman. It's like we're gonna have them just hang out and, and do puns at each other, and then we're gonna have Amy, who doesn't know anything about this stuff next to Nick who knows a lot about this stuff and then she's gonna have him smell pieces of wood and identify in a blatant home improvement ripoff yeah yeah I don't care I don't care I will watch Nick Offerman lick a piece of wood to figure out what kind it is yes I will always watch that every single time um so yeah I just really enjoyed it it's not it's it's I think it's a show that you should if you like Bake Off you should DVR it let it pile up on your DVR and watch it at some point. And that's the way to watch, I think. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good idea, in part because it will maybe flatten out some of the issues that you were having with Simon Doon, who's the fellow who designs a number of Barney's windows. And I do think that you're correct in that he's got a good eye for what he knows. And his out, I think his art background is really pretty strong. Mm-hmm. As for Dinaism Johnson, who is sort of like Etsy's trend expert slash like communications manager or something, like she's been there... F- for years she's gone through like the fashion institute of technology so she has at least like some sort of background within this and at least within some sort of design aspect um but i think like the judging just feels perfunctory almost in this in the show which is fine because i'm really not there for the judging i'm really there to see what all these people are going to come up with like the fact that they've got a really wide variety of people who make things out of different sort of materials. So like a felt artist, a craft blogger, two different kinds of woodworkers, interior designer, this guy who basically just considers himself a master maker already. Mm -hmm. Um, But also demonstrated that he is very good enough to (laughs) sort of have that kind of attitude about himself. Um, I think it's just really good. And the different kinds of personalities I think is really great. And the... I mean, that quilt of the boss was just so good. He made it out of felt. And it looked exactly like a Nintendo sort of era type of 8-bit thing. And I was just like, this is very good. I like this very much. Um, so I'm I'm really enjoying, at least based on the first episode, I think it's really fun. And like you said, just the pleasure of watching Polar just kind of be amazed and slash be like, I don't know what any of this stuff does. And I'm just going to do prop comedy is really good. And Offerman's just very quiet sort of bonding with the woodworkers is also just really lovely. (laughs) And so, yeah, I think letting it build up for a little while is exactly the way to go. And then just kind of let it all soak in, let it just drill into you basically (laughs) in a very soft way (laughs) um there's a moment listeners and noel if you keep watching that i want you all to look for um where one of the i don't even remember which week um but the judges are are being rather critical of one of the makers uh something that 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 they made and the camera like you can see Amy Poehler, and I swear she looks like Leslie Nope if someone says something bad about Ann Perkins. She looks like, I'm gonna <laughs> fight you! Like, she's, like, just, like, her expression is like, don't you say anything about my makers! <laughs> like, it's just, the, it's a really subtle thing, but I was like, oh, Amy Poehler, I'm so glad the camera got that, you know, in the background. I don't think you know you're being filmed right now, but I think you just want to go give that judge a piece of your mind, and I love you for it. <laughs> Well, I mean, that even happens a little bit in the premiere where they're critiquing someone's use of, like, wanting more pop on the wood. Mm -hmm. 
the family tree sort of thing that someone's constructed. And Offerman's just like, wait, hang on a second. Let's talk about the wood grain that he's used because it's actually adding a lot. And we need to discuss this. And it's just like, this This fills in like a little bit of the gap that you were talking about a little bit. It was when Offerman particularly kind of steps forward and goes, now wait a second, guys. <laughs> and sort of sort of answers that. And I, I really appreciate that that was in the premiere because it was just like, hey, I really liked that little bit of woodwork family tree sort of thing that the fellow had constructed. But B, I also really disagreed that it needed more pop because I thought it worked really well as a very low-key piece of wood art. So without even like thinking about the grain of the wood. So I just, I just really liked it. And it was a very calm and soothing thing. But I also sort of liked their playing on like their personas, like Offerman's whole thing at the end of like the eggs in the refrigerator are mine. All of them. And it's just like, yes, we know. We know, Ron Swanson, all the eggs and bacon are yours. <laughs> we would have it no other way. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of having it no other way, I understand that there are developments afoot in Terrace House opening new doors. And yeah. I need you to tell me because I'm clearly behind. So, Noel, what happened in this next chunk of, you know, like the third chunk of the season of Terrace yeah. House opening new doors? All right. So I'm only about... Four or five episodes in. Um, Out of how many? Um, probably ten. So I'm maybe halfway through. Um, I didn't look to see how many they dropped. There's probably eight to ten. Um, and oh, Kate, it's so good. It's been like ridiculously good. Um, so Amy left. Um, uh, finally just kind of going, yeah, I'm pretty much done here. And everyone was a little sad about it. Um, but, I mean, you watched a little bit of it to know enough that it was just like, they never, she never really clicked in with a number of folks. And so her her presence in the house was, like, kind of fine. She clearly uh, bonded with Subasa, who is the um, hockey player. But it was also just sort of like a, okay, well, all right, you're gone. Um, so the producers kind of just decided we need someone completely different. So they hired a erotic model to come in as her replacement. And she shakes things up um, kind of aggressively. She's got the complete opposite personality. But she comes at just the worst possible time for like her introduction to the show. Because Subasa John and Shion got together, Kate? They finally... They finally, like, became boyfriend and girlfriend. He confessed his feelings on Valentine's Day with a bouquet, but didn't want a response from her because she was gearing up for, like, the big national women's hockey soccer tur- soccer hockey tournament. <laughs> There's no soccer involved. And so you've got that whole sports drama happening against this romance drama, and then they're just like, yeah, yeah, let's be boyfriend and girlfriend. And she's like, yay, they're so cute. And they're super cute together, like, after they've, like, decided they're going to be a couple. Mm -hmm. And then they decide to leave together. And everyone is super f***ing sad. Like, Taka and uh, the guy who came in following the cook that you met. Mm -hmm. um, uh, This uh, Sohei, who's this jazz singer, very good jazz singer. He comes in and he's really he's really cool, but both him and Taka are just like so overwhelmingly sad <laughs> at the news that um, these two people are departing that they're just sobbing uncontrollably mm-hmm. uh, when they announce this. And it's so heartwarming that this is kind of why this show's so good for me mm-hmm. is that there's when everyone connects like this, it's such good emotional sort of unput upon 
human interaction type stuff that I just really deeply respond to that you can't really script without like it feeling kind of forced. Um, and it's just, it's been so kind of heartwarming. And even like my hesitancy when they bought Cena on and like both Subasa and uh, Amy were both like really concerned about Cena's presence. Mm-hmm. And Subasa and Cena became apparently really super duper f-ing close. And it's just like, <gasps> type of thing. It was just very exciting. So everyone was really sad that they were leaving and making decisions about what their lives were going to be going forward. So I'm just like, can't wait to watch what happens next and i feel very like excited for um mayu who's the erotic model who was the subject of much a discussion about how how large her breasts are because they're they're very large and um that hopefully she can find love here because she was into shion immediately kate like uh-huh. immediately first night she was just like I am in love with this gorgeous hunk of man. <laughs> and then it was just like, oh, he has a girlfriend. And she was devastated about this. So she's a little immature still. Mm-hmm. Um, like she was crying outside about it. Um, like on her first night. And I felt really bad for her. And then like the only other guy, because the jazz singer is very much sort of pursuing uh, Cena. The only other guy has want nothing to do with her because she's too immature for him. And she's also like too kind of ditzy and manufactured in a way of like how she flirts and everything feels really calibrated to hit a man's, what she perceives to be what a man wants type of thing. And so Tak is having none of that, basically. And he's just like, you're too messy. Also, you're really kind of ditzy and it's really bothering me. So no, this isn't going to happen. I like you, but I don't really like you all that much is what he told her to her face at dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Um, So in short, Kate, you need to catch up with Terrace House. (laughs) Listeners, you need to catch up with Terrace House. And because it's very good, it's making my heart very warm. And I'm excited about the two new people coming in. One's a pilot and one is also a local to um, the town that the season is currently placed in. So I'm really curious about how the two new folks are going to jive with the house. Because it's when two people come in at once, it's always a little more disruptive than one person coming in. So I'm really curious to see how things are going to get shaken up in the back half of season three, which is what they're calling it now, but really just part three of this, of opening new doors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you need to, don't leave me hanging. What happened with the team? <sighs> they got to the semifinals and got eliminated. Okay. Well, did she, because yeah. I know there was drama about if she was going to like switch to a different team. Yeah. So a number of like, um, uh, a flight, teams were sort of approaching her and one of the team the team that they lost against actually wanted her to come and play with them in Hokkaido. Okay. And she decided to stay with her team in uh Karuzawa. Um be- in part because another really good player is coming back to play with them. Yeah. And she feels she's not ready to leave her team basically and she's sort of reevaluating her dream of becoming a national team player. Um, how much of this is motivated by the fact that she has a boyfriend now is sort of being debated amongst people. Um, but I, I legitimately think that she really wants to win with this team and she feels like she can do that with this other woman at her side. Um, well, we won't find out unless like they pop up on the show to sort of discuss it. Um, but otherwise you just have to, would have to go and look to see what the Karazawa fairies were doing. Um, 
I guess maybe next season. I don't know quite how the Japanese hockey season works. Yeah. Um, because this batch of episodes takes place in like February and March. Um, so not sure. I think hockey season's pretty much over, but I'm not sure if it's like starting up again or not. So Aww. okay. Well, I will try to catch up. I make no promises. I will try. Um, no, and it's fine. I hope it's, that it's they. It's a big commitment. I understand. Yeah, yeah, no, I hope that they do update. If if there is news, if there's happy, well, if there's happy news, I hope they update um, with with Subasa's uh, new new record um, and yeah. her her team's uh, hopefully uh, upcoming glorious victory. Next up in uh, in our weekend TV, we have Ducktales, Sky Pirates in the Sky, which is where we drew our song leading into the section, a uh, segment of the podcast, um, where we drew that from. And this is the much, you know, hyped, uh, you were very excited, Tailspin crossover. How did they do? Mm-hmm. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Don Carnage is a kind of a weird, over the, excuse me, over-the-top character anyway. Um, and so I was intrigued by the fact that they got, um, Jaime Camille to come in to voice him. Um, and then I was sort of like low key, like fine with Mm -hmm. the rest of it. It was just like, it's sort of like, what if Rogelio was a sky pirate is basically what all of this is. And that's the joke throughout basically the entire thing, at least for audiences in the know. That was the thing. And it was okay. I kept waiting for like a different level to come through in the voice performance that never really happened. It's good, but there's just, it's just very one flat kind of note that's fine. And that's sort of like the overall episode is like, it's fine. Um, There's some good gags about like theater managing and people in the background and that kind of a thing. But it's also stuff that you've seen before. This isn't stuff that's necessarily unique to this overall premise of pirates that actually should probably just be a theater troupe. Um, But it's a cute, sweet little episode with a number of like little decent enough side plots of particularly Scrooge doesn't know whomever, whichever his nephews or which he just doesn't know. And I sort of appreciate that, but at the same time, I feel like he should know because they're at least not wearing the same sort of shirt and hat combo they were in the original. They look different enough, Scrooge, just by their clothes that you should be able to tell them apart. Um, so it was fine. Um, it wasn't as, I wasn't as like blown away by it as like I was by the surprise gummy bears canonicity, but this was fine. Um, how did you feel about it? I liked it more than you did. I thought it was a, okay. a fun episode. I really liked the different musical numbers. I thought those worked well. Um, but I absolutely agree about the Camille's voice work. It was just, it was one note. And it was it like, as soon as I realized who it was, I was like, oh, oh, that's what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. And then it never yeah, went anywhere. Never They never did anything else with the character or with, you know, with the performance. Just It just was very that. And... Um, it's a shame because Camille can do a lot more. He uh, can. So, oh well. But I did. I did enjoy the episode. I, I liked Webby uh, tricking. Uh, who was that at the end? Louis. Louis. Thank you, Louis. At the end. But I'm not related to them in my defense. Scrooge, you should do yeah. better. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but he knows Webby's name now, which is really important. That's really the most important thing. That's clearly <laughs> the most important thing. Um. So yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. It was a good change in tone. Before the more serious stuff that's likely coming. Um, so, yeah, it was a nice diversion. 
I do have one question for you because mm-hmm. this came up in the AV Club, the TV Club review of this particular episode. Mm-hmm. And my person actually pointed this out because she, she was looking at it while we were watching the episode. And how do you feel about the fact that so many of these episodes kind of start in media res post sort of like treasure adventure where they've like returned from some sort of expedition mm-hmm. with the treasure in tow as opposed to actually us seeing them get the treasure? How do you feel about that? Um, I think that it that is an easier way to do a a like a silly thing and, and that lets us return to status quo at the end rather than ending on a victory or ending on it and we got the treasure and then you have to deal with all those pesky morality issues of well who does this treasure belong to and all that all of that they just, it just they're just sidestepping like well doesn't that belong to someone shouldn't isn't that a cultural artifact should that be in a museum or should that be like in like return to a cultural society in that country or mm. this belongs in a museum <laughs> uh, preferably a very white very british museum yeah um so uh it just it's a convenient way to sidestep all of that. And usually yeah. the, it, there's some sort of a mystical, magical, potentially dangerous item so that you can tell yourself that's why Scrooge has it. But um, yeah, that's sort of how I feel about it. I'm okay with it. Um, it would be nice if they would engage with some of that, but I don't really expect them to. I think it's kind of baked into the premise. What do you think? I'm on, we're on the exact same page of it. Like sidestepping the cultural sort of theft aspect of it is particularly when they call make such a big deal of it as they do in sky pirates in the sky, because they're just like, we've got a whole big hole of stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the plane that the pirates are very efficient at stealing, which I appreciate them acknowledging how really efficient they are at that. But yeah, it just, the show's desire to not engage with that, I think is probably smart, if a little dishonest of them. But like you said, it's sort of baked into the premise and baked into the fact that Scrooge is just a ruthless capitalist slash moneymonger that wouldn't have any qualms about this. And no one around him seems to either. So we're just kind of least of all Louie. Um, well, they are so children. Just, yeah, they are children. Yeah. Um, but also, I feel like Webigail would at least be sort of like, maybe we should stop doing this at some point in an episode in which they sort of acknowledge this fact. Yeah. Um, so... We'll see, but I'm I'm like you. I'm generally okay with them not dealing with that per se. Um. So yeah, yeah. And that's a great idea for a season two, season three episode that they can do, yeah. and that will yes. show growth from her. It could, like when once the shine of oh my god, I'm adventuring with Mister Scrooge like has worn off a little bit. Um. Yeah. Th- that that would be a good Lisa Simpson moment. Yep. Yes. Oh, former that's a really good that's yeah. former Lisa Simpson moment. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um we also had the finale of Pose recently, uh Mother of the Year and I I was not caught up last week but I wanted to mention it this week cuz I thought it was a really terrific finale. It is a very hooray for us all ending, but um in, in a way that very clearly they were not sure they would get a second season, so they wanted to make sure that everybody wound up their storylines. We have as happy an ending as you're going to get for for all of the characters still standing at the end of the show. Um, and I think that is terrific because, honestly, we've all seen plenty of tragic and horrific stories about people dealing with the AIDS crisis in marginalized communities in the 80s. It is awesome to see a show that ends its season with, having, with characters um, 
a couple characters who are positive disclosing their status to very specific loved ones and having a night of glamour and victory and communion and family and beauty as opposed to and let's let's have someone tragically die in the arms of somebody else like we've we've seen that before they pose did an episode showing a character um dealing with the loss of of a partner to aids um to hiv and um they did it incredibly powerfully really affecting beautiful excellent performances well written very thoughtful and so that but they did that very intentionally in the middle of the season so they could end with happy stories with couples of like with, with queer couples celebrating and supporting each other and i think that is an excellent note to end the season on and there's still plenty of opportunity if they want to go to tragedy there's still plenty of space for that um in the next season so i'm good with some wish fulfillment um that's really good happy i'm ending. really glad to hear that that's how that ended yeah so more on that next season and and, and not like a lack of awareness but just a, right of 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 you know these are there are two of the main characters are hiv positive in a time where that is a death sentence um right. and uh and there's an awareness to that so it it feels much more like a recognizing and appreciating the good moments the good days when you have them because you know that they are going to be fewer than they should be um so so that worked really well and also i just really hope they could, they could easily just cut the uh white couple in the suburbs storyline now because of how the season ended and just like we don't even need to see them next season so hopefully that's what they'll do um because evan peters uh, is great he did a really good job with that character but i don't care about them i care about all the other people and please don't bring not just don't bring back any of the trump stuff just just leave them all away um, and instead focus on this awesome cast. Oh man, there's a scene of uh Electra reading the House of Ferocity who are coming for the House of uh, of Evangelista and it is just like, oh man, oh, sick burn after sick burn. It is just like you don't piss off Electra and we see why in in the finale and it's just it's it's chef's kiss. It's, it's so good. It's very good. Anyways, it was, it was so- super fun. Have they been confirmed for a second season already? Yes, it got it got renewed. Okay. So yeah, it's okay, definitely good. coming back, and which is okay. very exciting. And I look forward to the Emmy push that FX better do for Billy Porter. Um, so we'll see about that. But let's move on to our next episode, which is the f- season finale of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger Colony Collapse. We heard from Vince on Twitter about this, who wanted to know. I he says I have questions about the Cloak and Dagger finale, and would like to hear our take. What's with the cheesy dialogue and animation at Ground Zero? Why did the building Tandy and Tyrone woke up on look so much like Star Labs? <laughs> Why does Tandy seem so nonchalant about killing people who are infected, but didn't kill the woman who tried to kill her? And why is there so little Evita? What happened to the infected after they stopped Armageddon? And why is Roxxon guilty all of a sudden? Excellent questions. Uh, do you want? I can to- answer all of these. Yeah. yeah, go for it. All right. So first of all, Roxxon is always guilty all the time. That's just how this works. Because they're Roxxon. Like, they're Roxxon. They're just pure evil. They've never not been evil. Like this is even a thing from like the Agent Carter television series. Is mm-hmm. Roxxon's bad news? Like period. End of story. Mm-hmm. Um, it just took a little too long for the show to sort of like make that really apparent. Yeah, I feel like. Um, and that's, that I think speaks to a lot of the things about the finale sort of in general. So getting to like the cheesy dialogue and animation around the ground zero reactor type thing is just like, 
show. I really appreciate where you were trying to go for that, but you do not have the production budget. For do not this. have the budget for this. Yeah, and it it just looks it looks bad, and it's like the first time I've thought that about this show. Legitimately thought that about this show is that it looked bad, mm-hmm. and I was really kind of like. I appreciate you guys trying to be ambitious about this, but no, just no. There was really kind of no other way for them to, I think, do this, given what they had set up with the whole, we're drilling in for dark anger energy or whatever it was. Um, yeah. That I was just like, there was no other way to like kind of represent that. So I just kind of went, this is fine, but you guys should have come up with something that wasn't going to look this rough. Um the cheesy dialogue is fine with me. Um, that did not bother me at all. Um, as for Tandy's nonchalance, I don't know. Um, I grappled with that as well. And I don't have an answer for that. As apart from the fact that they're just like, eh, fodder, but we really kind of want uh, Mina Hess to come back. Or, no, oh, no, that's the name of the character. That's the character's who's, name, yeah. Yeah, who's the actor? We, she's we want that actor of... back because she's very good and yeah. we like Mina. And there's only so many characters that have actually really sparked with her um, yeah. in that way. So, yeah. yeah um, Ali Mackie. Ali yeah. Mackie. Yeah. Um, is just really good in general. I've liked her on a number of other things. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. As for Evita, I do agree that there needed to be more Evita. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like so much of that, again, going back to this show's love of framing devices, that they really wanted her to be present while Auntie was sort of recounting all the other earlier... Uh, chosen pairings that had mm-hmm. happened throughout the course of history while scored to period appropriate versions of come sail away for some inexplicable reason yep that i don't understand kate <laughs> more so than anything vince asks us please explain to me the come sail away decision yeah because you text you put that in there and i was like i have nothing i have nothing to add <laughs> I'm, for me, come sail away, away. I just, besides just enjoying Freaks rocking out with that song, uh, I just immediately go to uh, South Park and uh-huh. Carmen has to finish the song anytime he hears it. He has, like, stuck in his head, he has to, like, sing the whole song. So there's uh-huh. an episode where they just spend the episode tormenting Cartman by singing part of it. Um, and uh, that's where I go to for that. So, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Noel told me about this. Yep. I hear Cartman in my head now. This scene. <laughs> it kind of broke the mood. Um, yeah, I, I, I was trying to see if the divine pairing, like couples or like pairings throughout history, I did appreciate that it was different kinds of pairings. Yes. So I thought, I thought mm-hmm. that was neat. Um, throughout history, uh, like I was trying to see if that was part of the comics, which I don't know. I couldn't find any right. I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, because yeah, I was like, this feels like I was like, why are they doing this? This seems stupid. Um, Their origin story is like different from sort of a little bit different here on the show than it is in the comics. So that's that's an adjustment that they've sort of made for the show. Yeah, but it just it feel it just felt really really stupid. I mean, like it was fine. Each of the little vignettes I thought was well done, and if you're going to do that, they did a pretty good job of it. But the name of the show is Cloak and and Dagger. We know you're not going to kill Cloak or Dagger. So yeah. this is not, this is, this is stupid. And there's not enough happening where other people's actions would be affected by the knowledge that theoretically one of them is going to die. Um, right. And so, and, and so, and then when um, we see uh, O'Reilly 
I remembered her mm-hmm. name. Look at that. You did. Congratulations. <laughs> O'Reilly gets like slashed in the arm and then gets killed. It's like, oh, maybe she's the sacrifice. And then she's coming back as mayhem, which is a whole thing. But like, I, it just was too half-baked for me. And that just mm-hmm. ties in with my sort of uh, general response to the season. There is so much stuff that I think is actually really good, particularly for a first season of, of a show, uh, let alone a se- first season of a superhero show on TV, which many of them have lackluster first seasons until they kind of figure some stuff out um but the 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 stuff that there's some stuff that works really well but other stuff i mean are wait what's happening with the cops so are we yay the cops or are we boo the cops because like when they have that scene with tyrone's family we are really supposed to believe that per the cop that they have come and talked to them and say you know there's a different people the group different group people in charge of this that are overseeing it it's not going to get buried this time like we are supposed to trust that person they cast an actor mm-hmm. and told them play this as sincere as you possibly can and then in the same episode the guy's out of jail. The guy's just free walking around and yeah. has run, complete run of the streets. So, like, there's a lack of internal consistency that was very frustrating for me um, and just really spoke to their desire to set up particular plot points rather than adhere to an internal consistency to their world. And that yeah. was disappointing because that was something that just became evident, like, episode four, episode five, like, like later in the season. And I was hoping that they would have you know kind of ironed that out by the time we got towards the finale but it didn't you know just again it felt like two different shows yeah and i think that's fair i think that the lack of internal consistency that you mentioned is really important um but also the fact that they're sort of overarch sort of thing their dual overarching between the police force and roxanne never really kind of fully materialize in a way that is satisfactory either one of them and that gets really, it's really kind of frustrating to watch. And it makes it, from an arc narrative standpoint, just sort of, it lacks compelling and it lacks that consistency that you were talking about, both in terms of quality, but also in terms of narrative, yeah, narrative consistency. So that weakens the show to varying degrees depending on how much of an emphasis you want to put on that i think that some of the character interactions particularly between tandy and tyrone and then tandy and Vita, do a nice job of balancing that sorry not tandy and Vita, tyrone and Vita. oh i really do like nice the tandy and Vita stuff <laughs> it's very little but i liked it a lot i was like no yep, it's i like it just as much as Mill said i would <laughs> yeah it's very good and the two finally when they actually meet and it's just like this is very good um we need more of this please um like fair enough you're you're good enough for him (laughs) yeah yeah you're cool enough to be friends with my boyfriend yeah yeah um that it balances out and some of like the over sort of overarching storytelling so like their use of framing devices while weird sometimes i'm also like i like it enough as like it feels a little heavy-handed but i don't care because it gives the show a fair amount of structure in that it wouldn't necessarily have that otherwise Mm -hmm. i I worry because they don't have necessarily cases of the week that they're dealing with or villains of the week that they're dealing with they just have what they're doing to further this particular sort of serialized arc that isn't necessarily as well developed as it should be so giving them the framing devices helps balance that but it isn't enough to necessarily make up for it. So I do think this is a really strong first season, but I also think that there's plenty of room for them to fix and develop a lot more things going forward in their second season. 
Yeah. I uh, I want some consistency again about how people respond to their visions of their hopes and dreams um, or, or their fears and their hopes. Um, because some of the people that they have, like, you know, whammied have seemed like just kind of confused and some of them have been like you shouldn't have seen that you know as if they understood what was happening which doesn't Uh make any sense at all um and like the idea that avita is different and and has agency within that moment is neat and i think that's really cool you can have her be an exception that works that works fine but i do want more consistency to how it affects other people um or at least to make the make it established that it affects people differently. And some people are just like confused about what's going on. And some people don't know what's going on, but they know that something happened and that you were there, you know, like it, it just felt again, too determined by what they wanted in each scene, how they wanted to end each scene. And as for the bookmark, like the, the framing devices that they use. uh, Yeah. They, (laughs) Yeah, it was very didactic. I, I, you're, again, uh, you're more generous than I am. But but in a way, I appreciate the awareness of the form and of the like the number of act breaks. It felt much more because um, sometimes you're watching these shows and it feels like and now we cut to commercial because it's time for commercials, not because we've structured our show to come to a break point naturally here and we come back in at a place that makes sense, you know. So so I appreciated the it it. Yes, it's tidy. It's very tidy for some of their storytelling, but it's also structurally tidy, and I appreciate that as a grammar nerd. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm eager for a second season. Um, I'm eager to see what they do with Mayhem, who's sort of like a co-vigilante with them typically, but can very easily function as a villain. Um, rumor is is like the showrunner sort of insists that they've already introduced like cloak and daggers like primary big villain mr jip uh within a one of the fears when um tyrone was like cycling through a bunch of them with some folks he sort of they sort of like stealthily introduced mr jip who's this very sort of supernatural type of uh villain who looks basically just like a big walking mound of decaying flesh typically um, he's very frightening looking, so I'll be curious to see if Jip comes to the forefront a bit more in the future, but I'm mostly just interested to see what they'll do with O'Reilly and Mayhem, uh, because she's moving all weird, Kate! Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a much cheaper effect. Yeah, no, that's a much cheaper effect, and it, as a result, it still looked really good, though, so thank yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm looking forward to that as well. I will definitely be in for a season two, and uh, we'll see what you know what happens until then. I would say I would this or Runaways. Who had the best, better first season? I think that's a tough call. Yeah, um, if only because like they're both very different types of shows. Yeah, um, and different types of strengths. Yeah, and different types of strengths. Um, I think sort of structurally, I think Cloak and Dagger is a better show than Runaways is. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Runaways split perspective, I think hurt ultimately a little bit more than it helped um especially when it came to juggling a lot of the uh runaway dynamics um but i do think that runaways is also just a lot more fun to watch than cloak and dagger is um by design by design. it didn't have as many oh, stupid moments for me so like yeah. it was more it didn't have the highs or the lows for me that right. this one did um yeah. plus it had but, a, like a puppet it had it had a it had a dinosaur puppet. A dinosaur 
puppet. It also had a rich white woman taking off her earrings to fight someone. <laughs> Which Kokodago uh, did not have. No. Um, um, but that's also just a very Josh Schwartz thing. Mm, yes. <laughs> um, yes, it really is. So... I don't. I think I kind of want to give it to Cloak and Dagger just because Cloak and Dagger snuck up on me a little bit more in terms yeah. of like its overall sort of quality. But I think both shows operate really nicely um, overall and demonstrate that Marvel TV can do stuff not on Netflix and not on ABC nest per se, and still do something really compelling and also get it sort of right out of the bat, out of the gate a little bit stronger than some of the other Netflix. Uh, yeah, Marvel television shows have been able to manage. Yeah, I'm definitely way more excited about season two of either of those than the forthcoming season two of Iron Fist. Yay! Yay! Um, who knows if I'll even watch it? Maybe I you, won't. I didn't finish Punisher. Don't. Don't. Yeah, don't watch it. Um, but a show I definitely will be still continuing to watch, though I understand many who won't, is Winona Earp, which has uh, episode two of this new season, When You Call My Name. And Listeners, here is my note in our uh, in our document here. Five minutes in, this is much better than the premiere. This episode was so much better than the, it was just such a better episode than the premiere. It wasn't even funny. Like Insy was like, "Oh, this is the show that I like. This is the show that I that I watch." Um, and then uh, I was all excited to talk about it. And then, and then you get to the end, Kate. Yeah, <laughs> then a thing happened, and I was like, "Well, we aren't gonna get to talk about all the ways that this is an awesome, really good, really interesting, thoughtful, creative, exciting episode. Such 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 great, amazing character development, and all this other stuff because of a thing. And I've given you enough time to stop if you don't want to be spoiled, listeners. So I'm gonna say that thing now, which is they killed off dolls." And the reason they killed off dolls is that the actor wanted to leave the show. And I don't know when they found that out, but clearly they made the decision that they wanted to come back with a premiere that was very, like, lighthearted. And as you said last week, we're going to, like, kind of have fun before we get into the dark stuff. And then I guess they didn't want to tip their hand and make it a dolls-heavy episode, so they wanted it to be a surprise, I guess? It's, it's frustrating. And... There's been a lot of, because of, of course there's lots of discussion of how great of a fandom the Erper fandom is. Uh, so there's been a lot of different reactions in the Erp fandom. And I gotta say, I was very disappointed in a segment of the Erper fandom because there was a, there was a very strong reaction from many fans and vocally fans of color at the the death of dolls, the way that they chose to write the actor off of the show and there was a pushback against that from another segment of the erper fandom and i thought that was a bunch of bullshit um saying that well you know the actor wanted to leave the show so you can't be mad at how they did it or well the actor chose the way they killed the character and he wanted the character to die so you're not valid for feeling like this show but let you down and betrayed you in a way that it's not it's shown it's not going to betray other fandoms. Um, and I thought that was really gross. So uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I basically, fans who feel betrayed by by the show for its treatment of dolls, I hear you. I, I, like, I, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, what, what, did, what did you think, Noel? 
I'm really kind of firmly with the folks who sort of feel upset with this. Um, mm-hmm. In part because it's such a, it's a really anticlimactic way for dolls to have gone out, really. And he's also going out protecting all his white friends. And is Jeremy there? No, Jeremy's in the lab. So he's, he's there protecting all his white friends, um, which isn't great. Um, and so, yes, I acknowledge the fact that the actor wants to leave. He was very upfront about that in an interview with TV Guide. Uh, but he also sort of talked about, in that same interview, about the fact that they never really explored my character in any way, shape, or form. And I can understand kind of wanting to leave after being like, it's been two seasons. You guys haven't really done anything with me except turn me into a lizard. That breeds fire. Um, And this is also troubling because a friend of mine has seen the third episode, which is, hey, guys, guess what? Really heavy on Dolls' backstory, which not a good look show. No. Not a good look when you kill the character off and then give his backstory. Not a great look. Um, And so that makes me, that made me really just in anticipation of, uh, tonight's episode, as we record, um, does not make have me looking forward to that. And so I'm I'm really with those people who feel really frustrated with it. I'm also really with like the conversation this is maybe spurred on, and it's really um, it's really well encapsulated. And I'd refer you guys to the Mary Sue article by Princess Weeks, um, who wrote at length about it um, shortly after the episode, a few days into the week after the episode aired, um, where there's a very good discussion about the fact that the mixed outcry over this that you alluded to, um, which I wasn't aware of, but I'm surprised by at, not at all, <laughs> um, basically amounts to the conversation that we need to have as sort of a culture and as genre fans, where we... And this is barring Weeks' sort of central argument of, like, we launched a whole fan convention because of Klexa. That outrage was so strong, but when the black guy dies, we just kind of go, eh. And this feeds into a discussion that she also, that they talk about in regards to the fact that the 100 killed off black, brown, oh, yeah. color. Ad nauseum, and no one really kind of blinked an eye yeah. or got as upset as they did when they yeah. killed off Lexa. I don't know if that's fair. People were very upset, but it didn't spark the same. It didn't spur the same type yeah. of conversation. And that's yeah. really Weeks's point is that yeah. this is still not causing the same type of outrage and conversation and fan turn against a show that that caused. And mm-hmm. so we need to maybe interrogate that to a certain degree. Is Weeks yeah. sort of larger argument of why is that to borrow like one of her like pull quotes of why is the same method empathy not being show not being given to black and brown fans basically yeah and I think that that's a really good conversation to have and a really good point to make and the entire piece is really good um I'll send this to Kate so that she can we'll, we'll link it in the notes yeah because it's a very good piece um and I think that that's ultimately I very much agree with this and very much agree with the whole. This is just a really weird way to do this, and it's not a really good way to honor this particular character that's been really sort of central to this team and to this narrative. 
um, for the past two seasons. And that's that's really kind of troubling um, to see the show that has really prized it, prided itself on its degree of empathy and its unwillingness to... And being really upfront that we're not going to bury any gays, but... <laughs> type mm-hmm. of thing. And yeah. so that degree of things. And I've been rambling for a little bit, so I'll let you talk. <laughs> well, no, it, it's the... It's the question of, can you imagine the show doing the same thing to Nicole or Waverly if those actors wanted to leave? And the answer is no. No, they would not kill them. They would not have, they would not kill them. And if they did kill them, they wouldn't kill them in this way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and I granted they gave this character, this is not for me, this is not of the hundred Klexa situation. It's because they they gave the character agency over his choice to use his ability. Like, he went out fighting, he, you know, like, he, he made an active choice. It wasn't something that was done to him. It wasn't timed in a way to be, like, punishment for his identity. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying any of that. However, when I read um posts on on social media from fans of this show who talk about identifying um in people that i met at, at Clexicon who talk about identifying with that character about the talk trans people who talk about identifying with someone who's got to take meds to be himself to people who talk about it's another black body uncovered on the road for hours and we like the camera lingers on him and they, nobody even covers him up and the camera wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that if it was Nicole or if it was Waverly or if it was Doc. But it's okay to do that if it's dolls. And then to to add in the added insults of a lack of, like you say, or like the piece says, lack of empathy from strong portions of the fan base, I think is just particularly galling. And... um. Just the fact that that's how theor- apparently that's how the actor was like, well, hey, let's have him go out fighting, man. Let's have him make a choice to save his friends. It's like, yeah, okay, that's great that the actor has that perspective, but the ultimate responsibility is of the writers and the showrunner. And the actor, you don't know if the actor has the perspective of what the TV fan base has been through uh, of seeing character after character after character killed. And obviously, they wanted to to take that into consideration, and to res- and they respected that, like you know, pr- you know, the actor's input. But there are times when you say, "Okay, let- how can I take that desire from the actor and still incorporate what I know this will mean to the people who watch yes. the show and the promises I have made to this fan base as a safe space." a way where they don't have to worry where they can invest in these characters and not have to worry about people that they can identify with being killed off. And I think when you define yourself so strongly as a show um, for their fans that respects and loves their fans, that is has so much engagement with their fans and has made these promises to their fans, it makes the betrayal all the more potent and harmful. Yeah, and I think that this becomes kind of speaks to like one of the it's the double edgedness of being a show that wants to give its fans sort of exactly what they want. Yeah. And that's a really difficult tightrope to walk. Mm-hmm. And Winona Earp, to its credit, has walked that tightrope 
pretty well from my understanding. Again, yeah. this is a show that I generally like, but I am not like deeply invested in by any stretch of the imagination. I could stop watching it and I don't think I would miss it really. But it's also one of those things where when you do something like this, it's very difficult, like you were saying, to sort of still claim this kind of a safe space kind of discussion. And this idea of dolls as allegorical for a trans experience, I think, is really spot on and one that I was, A, not aware of and B, had not thought of, but is also really good for the show to have had present for as briefly as it did. And then to then just kind of go, eh, um, feels really, it's a real struggle sort of thing. And then, so... Yeah, it just, it makes me antsy about, like, next week's episode, um, and then it sort of just kind of makes me antsy about what the show wants to do going forward, um, and, yeah, and it's, like you said, it's bundled up in an episode that is generally really good. It's got a really terrific turn by Megan Fellows, um, who's phenomenal in this episode, and that it's difficult to have that kind of discussion when like you said at the top when we have to deal with this and that that ultimately should this should ultimately be the focus because this is the thing that sort of ends up defining the conversation around the show because like you said this is the show that very much wants to be considered a safe space fan zone type of show yeah and for me and uh, let, re- listeners, let us know. Shoot yeah. the, the televerse at gmail.com, at the televerse on Twitter. Let me know how you feel about it and if I'm in the wrong here. What this strikes me as is uh, showrunner Emily Andrus doing her best and not just making in what I would gauge to be a misstep and unintentionally so, as opposed to the 100 situation, which just felt like uh, somebody who didn't give a I think that this showrunner does care and was trying to do her best and didn't realize as much what she was like the trend she was playing into, even if she should have. That's sort of where I am at with it. Um, do you have thoughts on this or not really? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, Andrus is someone who like we've like you've alluded to and is like, I think everyone is generally aware of at this point that is deeply sort of empathetic about this kind of thing and mm-hmm. is has always come across that way, which is something that Weeks mentions and even includes an embedded tweet in which Andrus responded to a tweet that she shared about the fact of being frustrated by being considered toxic for her response to this episode. And Andrus being like, no, you're absolutely allowed to be sad and we all need to make room for that, in my humble opinion, is Andrus's response which is not necessarily sort of an acknowledgement that they did something wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things where, where else can they sort of turn for representation? And that becomes like a larger issue. And like the writer of the Mary Sue article weeks even acknowledges that they're still going to watch the show because of Andrus's overall sort of presentation of compassion. Yeah. And that that helps a lot. That helps to mitigate to a certain degree the frustration, but it doesn't answer or provide a solve to the frustration. It just means that the show has a longer leash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I think that I keep coming to with this is the space 
between in a show like this between um the character and the actor mm-hmm. and an understanding that while the actor has a very specific connection and ownership over the character and the a big part of the fan connection is with the actors as well mm-hmm. yeah if most of the i think i maybe i'm speaking on a turn it seems to me most of the fans if they have to choose will choose the character over the actor and if the actor wants one thing but what's best for the character is another thing i think you, you your loyalty needs to be to the character but it's the the that's been an interesting development for this particular example yeah. of characters being killed off um that I, for me hasn't come up previously that has has prompted more thought and consideration on how I respond to these things. Um, and I'm going to keep thinking about it for a while, certainly. And I'm going to keep watching. For me, uh, the show and the the showrunner have uh, have given themselves a lot of credit. So they're, they're, they, they've taken a withdrawal from the bank, yeah. bank of Kate. <laughs> but they have, there's still some balance in there, so I will keep watching. But uh, I would love to hear from, from fans of the show or former fans of the show with their thoughts on this and uh, shoot us an email, send us a voice an email with your, your voice, you know, like recording of your thoughts and we'll, we'll talk about it next week. We'll include it on the show. Let us know what you think. One question I have for you um, since you were talking about this idea of being loyal to the character is where would you stand on recasting dolls in this event? I think that's really tough. Yeah, because, I mean, I think about, like, particularly, like, Sense8, which is a totally different sort of situation in terms of why they, that actor was recast. Yeah. That <laughs> um, actor was recast for a reason that made people go, f*** that actor. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty much. Yeah. Um, But that degree of, like, okay, so you want to leave. Well, you could. I mean, this is very much a show in which it becomes a tight issue of, like, well, we could recast Dolls. And then, like, have a different actor come in and play him, and mm-hmm. some sort of like mystical sort of thing that happens that changes his appearance. But that also gets into like a larger issue of like interchangeability of black bodies. Yep. And so it becomes like a really sort of squishy sort of situation of like, what do you do in this kind of a situation? And I mean, I wonder if you just recast and don't acknowledge. And just kind of continue going forward, um, which to me seems like the better option. But I also just thought about this question to ask you and thought about this way of approaching it and the degree to which you can do that. But also at the same time, the stronger idea that you really could not re- reasonably, I think, within the fandom recast anyone on this show and it'd be okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest answer is to send him to go help with baby Alice. Yeah, no, that's that's a much easier answer. And and then, like, there's a, obviously the reason that Winona can't go is because she has to stay and fight the curse. And could be that then you could give that choice to Doc and have a great episode that ends that it has a lot of really great Doc and doll scenes with him deciding mm-hmm. and him deciding to stay here to help finish the curse. So, you know, so that he can also give the mother back to the daughter you know um yeah. and then doll saying that he'll go like that you yeah. could make a great episode out of that yes it's you could because it would also pay but... off a lot of the doc and doll stuff that yeah is had they really mind that they acknowledge in this episode 
and then just do nothing with. I mean, the entire episode from a doll's perspective is just a real kind of fart sound. Oh, yeah, um, totally. It feels like maybe they only had him for a few days or something. Yeah, it does. It does. It really does. Because he's barely in it. Yeah. But anyways, I, you know, this is just you know, <laughs> speculation for speculation's sake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's certainly uh, something that any show like this that wants to be a fan run and fan saved, you know, kind of show, tiny mm-hmm. but very passionate following. Um, you, this is what you're part of what you're signing up for, and yeah. I will be monitoring going forward to see how you know how the fandom is re- responding and hopefully responding well in a way that lives up to the good name that so far erpers have earned from themselves for themselves online uh yeah. but we'll see because they haven't been tested until now in the same way so we'll see well that wraps up our week in tv what wins your week in tv no it's terrace house <laughs> so this episode's terrace house that i watched they made me very happy it was the most fun and happy i was watching the do you want to be my girlfriend and the whole response to that a it was a cliffhanger for an episode but I was watching the entire thing basically through my fingers. Um, so it's Terrace House. Uh, what about you? <laughs> what won your week in TV, Kate? Oh, it's Pose and Miss uh, Electra Evangelista's uh, gold fairy godmother dress of fabulousness. Yeah, Pose okay. finale, yeah. even though it's from last week. And uh, another finale that we had this week was, of course, the Dietland finale. So now we're going to take a break and listen to a trailer for the episode or maybe the theme song and come back to discuss season one of Dietland. We'll be right back after this. I never wanted to stand out. I was just trying to fit in. People like pretty things. You're not a thing. That's me, Plum Kettle. Working for the country's biggest beauty magazine. Dear Kitty, losing weight is impossible. I answer letters to the picture-perfect editor, Kitty Montgomery. Plum, I always forget what beautiful eyes you have. But a crazy thing happened on the way to becoming my best self. Are you following me? I want you to go see someone. Maybe it's the people who judge you who need to change. Well, good luck with that. You think it's impossible? I think it would take... A revolution. Get a life. You must agree that everything I tell you is strictly confidential. Fine. You've changed the world one person at a time. Oh, I'm not dangerous. But definitely not you. Witnesses say his body fell out of the sky. There is a detective snooping around. They're extremists targeting men. This whole thing is psycho. Four more men dropped across New Jersey. Anyone can see our plum has a secret rebel heart. Our answers to my kitty letters have gotten a little political recently. Haven't you ever wanted to be a hero? Based on the critically acclaimed novel, Juliana Margulies. Tell me you haven't thought about it. All those years of being screwed over just because we wanted to sit at the table with the big boys. And starring Joy Nash. Just ask me what's going on with me. Why am I afraid to? Dietland series premiere Monday. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week for our season spotlight, we wanted to check in on the season finale and just season one overall of AMC's new kind of, I don't know if it's been a hit, but like 
successful creatively at least uh, summer show diet land um so we were following week to week at the start of the season and then kind of i got behind for all my travel and everything so we kind of put it on hold um so i we have not talked diet land noel since like episode four episode five of the season yeah i feel like we haven't talked about it since f this or plum tuckered yeah, and I have some thoughts. It took a turn. It took. It made several capital C choices um, yeah. in the later stretch of episodes. So I'm looking forward to to hearing what you think. But uh, uh, let's start with where did you end up with this? We were both pretty positive on the show at the beginning of the season, but we were also very aware <laughs> that it could go off the rails. Where did you end up with Dietland? Uh generally in an okay space in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of me feels like particularly with the finale, that it was um, a less flashy, aggressive finale than I was expecting. It very much feels like they thought they were going to get 13 and then they only got 10 and we lost another three episodes. It's sort of how I feel about this finale. Um, So I ended up in generally an okay space with it. I think it's a show that benefits heavily from its performers. Um, and I think that it's got a number of really good performances that by the end are helping carry a lot of the storytelling. And that is both good in that it's a really well acted show, but bad in that they're like writing wise, the show just kind of trails off a little bit. Um, it also doesn't help that I feel like a lot of the weirdness that the show really embraced in the first few, first round, like half of episodes for me, sort of trails off a little bit. Um, but that is balanced out by like some aesthetic choices that they make, particularly with costuming. Um, that, again, carry a little bit of that weird weight um, that I had come to expect that they sort of decided to scale back on a little bit. Uh, so I ended up on generally an okay space with uh, Dietland. It's a show that... If it were to get a second season, I would definitely watch it. Um, but it's also one that I think I am like slightly less excited about than I would have season two that I am slightly less excited about than I would have been around halfway through the season. Um, but how did you feel about it? Yeah, I am a lot more wary on it mm-hmm. now than I was at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. that comes down to some really distinct choices that the, the show makes and some that I don't know how I saw. There's a couple, there's one big one I'm not sure how I feel about. And there's some other ones that I don't think were earned. Uh, a big one for me is the writing for Dominic is really, like, they really pivot partway through the season and decide they want him to be a romantic lead. They, like, pivot from him, like, playing Plum to actually, like, to actually like being really focused on on her and um all of a sudden he's got a crumbling marriage yeah no that marriage thing just comes out of nowhere i'm just like this is not how i read that situation at all and you guys have not devoted any time to it since then so this makes no sense to me this is not how you guys played their marriage before this is a rewrite because you because you're looking to have either to have him be an actual romantic lead potential like otp for plum or because you're looking to make a comment on this type of character 
which yeah. is also very possible. Um, I think by the end of the season, like because of the actor, because of Adam Rothenberg, you really want to be with Dominic, but he's shown no reason why he's any different or better than any of the other scumbag dudes throughout the entire series run. Um, and I don't know if the show knows what they're doing with that character. Um, so it's that, so I'm, I really have had some trouble with that. Like if they, if I had more confidence that they knew what they wanted to do with, with that character, I'd be on board with any of those things. Um, but I really don't think they know. And, uh, so that's a little bit of a eyebrow raise for me. I found the, the other big one for me is, is deciding to have Plum get raped. I don't think that was necessary, and I I don't think it was. I think it was something that they put in there. It just felt. It felt. It didn't feel like what they used that moment for justified having your main character get raped. And it did feel like that's what they were doing. It didn't feel like it was, well, but there's not, like, people get raped every day. And there's not, like, some lesson or some big story. You know, like, it felt like, no, this is a thing we're going to do to our character so that she feels this or does that. Like, it felt very manufactured to me. Um, And... It's not as galling an example as many, many other ones on television. Um, and I think some of the stuff that they did in the next episode was really great uh, with with Plum's, like, the way she was processing and, and you know, her response to, because she's not dealing with, you know, like, that's not the right word, terminology, but, like, her, what she, how she's reacting and talking with other people about what she's experienced i thought was some of that was done really well but i like it was like oh are they seriously gonna have the character get raped so that she can get radicalized so that she can go join jennifer that's what you're already both of those things she like it was just it's such a cheap like way to to move your like it's just such a one for one and i i just and they also seem to have forgotten about it by the time we got to the finale um Mm -hmm. so i just i'm I'm not ready to say this is a bunch of bullshit. Throw my hands up in the air. Yeah, but uh, I, I I'm conflicted. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Do you, what do you, What do you think? Do you know how you feel about it yet, or not yet? Not entirely yet. I know that while I'm interested in seeing the season two, is that um, I feel muddled about everything that sort of happens in the end, and I think the show is muddled as well, which is why like I made that comment about them feeling like they were getting 13 but then only got 10 um because i think the story ends really abruptly i think it ends in a way that doesn't service anyone and then a number of weird narrative turns like your stuff with dominic um and his family just completely collapsing off screen um is just bizarre and but then you're the rape that you discuss just Everything leading up to that, I totally buy. From Plum sort of being rocked from out of Calliope House and getting not sh- being sure where to go, falling back into very old patterns and thinking that she's in a place where she can handle a situation like where she voluntarily puts herself, I think works generally. The actual rape and assault itself does not work. 
it, like you said, it feels overly manufactured. It feels to the point where it feels like they're like, like you said, trying to push her to radicalize her. But the thing is, is like, she was already there anyway. She was ready to, she was there. All she needed was basically a recruitment. And she would have said yes without this happening to her. And like you said, like, it doesn't really come up again over the next, like, episode and a half or so. This isn't a conversation that she has when she's at Jennifer's mannequin bunker um, or anything like that. It's not a discussion that comes up. And so I'm... The show's desire to do that, I just don't understand. And... As a way to propel her forward, it doesn't make any sense. As a way to have her realize something about herself, which is doesn't make any sense. Because a lot of the discussions that she had, that we get through the voiceover, are things that you can achieve without having done that. And indeed, the show has achieved without having done them. Um, so it's a really weird decision to make. And I'm not sure why they decided to do it, apart from we needed to? feels like the biggest answers that we needed to because this is how TV operates now. And that is that is not a good enough answer for a show that is couched in this kind of a discussion about feminism, about patriarchy, about media depictions. Like, you don't get to say, you don't get to present this and then sort of kind of be uncritical about that representation. And I think that's sort of like the bigger problem is that there's no discussion about that within the show about like the response to that beyond a plum sort of shaking it off as she's talking to the woman from Calliope house whose face is scarred, um, whose name I cannot remember. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Sanaa? Yeah, I can't. I think, I think, I think. Yeah. I think. Um and that she's just kind of shaking it off. And I like that thread, but there's not enough of that. There's not enough of, there's not enough one for one, basically. And so us having to fill in gaps, but also Plum not dealing with it, like directly acknowledging it in a way that feels consistent with where she is, is also really troubling. So it ends up, I feel really muddled about this, and I think the show does too. Yeah. Well, it's like does, does every does every one of these characters, does every, every female character on a show that wants to really engage with these topics, have to get raped because that's the only way they're allowed to have a valid opinion on this stuff. You know, like it mm-hmm. it just feels uh, it's really frustrating, and um. And it feels almost like the show has inoculated itself against this critique by saying, well, yes, that's the thing that happens to X percentage of women. And it's it's terrible. And this is, you know, an honest uh, portrayal. And it's a kind of assault that is never, almost never seen on TV in a way that is underreported and under, uh, like, a, like, appreciated and respected on TV. Like, like, there are all these other things you could, you know, say – but I just don't and, buy it. And yeah. when is rape ever necessary? But like, yeah, it, like I, it, and it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating because I, I feel like, um, I feel like you could have an answer ready for any question, um, there any issue with it that you could bring up with that, um, or any critique, I guess. And yeah. I still am left, um, 
frustrated by the writing and by that choice and by uh the follow like the the follow through with plum from that point i really like that she is not solely defined by her assaults yeah um and and that's that's i think very interesting and a choice that too few shows make um but it like yeah, it's just maybe because of when in the season or because of any because they have a shorter episode order or because they plan to do more in season two. Who knows? But yeah. it that's yeah, really having trouble with that part of the show. Uh, part of the show I'm not having trouble with was the decision to to have the turn with Verena and just uh, like, yep. <laughs> never trust a white air quotes feminist um which was just like that that bitch walk at the end was just perfect loved it and of course robin weigert nailed it yeah no it's really good and the thing that i really really like about that apart from the slow-mo hashtag white feminism moment that mm-hmm. happens in that is the fact that a lot of these, a lot, the show, one of the show, one of the things that the show did really consistently well is an issue of doubling, particularly through costuming. And so within that scene, she's got this red leather coat on or red trench coat on, basically, which is perfect because Kitty's wearing this red sort of outfit as well as she's sort of assuming this power within the Daisy Austin media empire type thing. Um, after demeaning an employee, after digging a black male, after firing a black woman, all this sort of stuff. And we're, the show is inviting us to double both of them as within their methods, within their ideology. And I really appreciate that the show wants us to draw those connections and does that through costuming, but it's so good and delightful and funny but also just really pointed and i really appreciate that and it's it's like you said it's one of the things that the show does really well and that it's basically verena going no my way of handling this is significantly better than yours julia so this is how we're going to handle it by getting you all arrested and breaking up Jennifer, breaking up this thing that's really ruining what I want to do and how I want to help people. And I think that's really good. And it speaks to it speaks to an institutional representation of Jennifer's actual meetings of that it's unfocused, that it's that they're debating who do you go after next, as well as can we just stop using this language of the patriarchy, please? That that's the <laughs> point that that one particular person is focused on. And so I like that the show makes room for that kind of stuff, but also makes room for very pointed critiques of that. Yeah. And uh, the, yeah, that, that was entertaining and, and just inviting you, lulling you into mm-hmm. have a bunch of fun with these ladies who are absolutely going to go kill some people and already yes. have, and will continue yes. to kill people. Yes. Um. Yeah. And and I also like that they don't negate the ways that Verena really helped Plum. Like, yes. Like she absolutely helped Plum in a really powerful way, but that doesn't negate the other the other things you know that are, are happening as well, and that doesn't negate the power play and the way she gets off on her on her power play power. Yeah. yeah. 
in within that small or like fiefdom. Response to how people challenge her, like when um, Sana, I guess we'll say, um, responds really sort of like, no, Plum's got kind of a point. And the way that we went about that wasn't necessarily the best way in Verena's response of basically storming out. Mm-hmm. And um, just, again, speaks to basically where she ends up by going to the FBI to turn everyone in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really ended up uh, appreciating Julia a lot. I liked what Tamara Tooney was able to to get to do. Mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. appreciated the range she got to play over the course of the season. That was terrific. Um, I was surprised by the twist of the Ladio. I thought that was like super fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where I'm at at the end of the season with, with Lita. I'm glad Lita's around. I, I mean, like the I I, I appreciated some of the the breadcrumbs they throw us. You know, I shouldn't have killed Snow White, which obviously... Is the name of a Disney princess. And so does that mean that... Um, what's her name? The the woman that they killed. Was she in Jennifer? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And uh, which was the porn star. You know, was the porn star in Jennifer. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's... There's a lot of potential ways they could go with that uh, if they want to. Or is it just because everybody was using princess names that she has grafted a princess name onto the person that they killed you know like right. there's many ways they could do that and uh so yeah i appreciated that uh i have, i appreciated i thought that the way that they adjusted and turned uh stanley worked really effectively yeah 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 i didn't realize it was campbell scott but he, oh, you I mean, didn't. Oh, he's yeah, so good he's in this. So good. Well, he's good in everything. <laughs> he is. It's very true. Yeah. But uh, but no, I was really appreciating that performance as well. And um, yeah, I it, I think there's again, there's a lot of really strong pieces. And like you said, the performances through the cast, like every single person, are terrific. And like kudos to to Marty Noxon for getting this deep a bench. Yeah, I think it's just the acting. Even, like, little bits, like, that poor, poor employee of Stevens who just very much wants to go on a date with Plum. And never gets to and moves on, finally. Um, But even that little bit of casting, because all that guy gets to do is look sad puppy dog eyes. But even that was, like, really good. And I think that generally, across the board, the casting was really solid. Um... And I think that'll also we just kind of have to talk about how good Juliana Margulies is. <laughs> yeah. Um, Though I'm going like, to say, I did not buy that kiss my boot scene. Yeah, no. That Mm-mm. didn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't work at all. It feels like a weird sort of power move from a character that makes power moves in different ways than that. Yeah. And it just really wasn't necessary when we were writing with Sana. Um, so um, Google's being really slow. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just, it feels really weird. And also in the previous episode where she's black, the one bad thing that they do in like the previous episode where, she, uh, Kitty's blackmailing the board basically is the wig's really bad in that scene. <laughs> it's real bad. It's not on correctly. And it looks, it's real bad. Um, but it's also like a, it's just a very minor misstep in that department, but it's also one of those things where after seven seasons of The Good Wife, I know what Mar- Margaret Lee's looks like with a wig on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking for it. Yeah. I'm looking. Um, but I think that 
Marley's just gets to let loose, which is really fun. Um, she gets to be really arch and just a teeny tiny bit campy. Um, and that's really fun to get to see her play. And it like runs counter to basically her star image, her TV image, and that makes it really refreshing. And also we got to hear her say the phrase like a cheerleader goblin cock. And it's just like, it's just so weird to hear that come out of Nurse Carol's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, it's just, it's Alicia Flores because I have very little ER in my background. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't disagree. And you know she was just enjoying having that kind of dialogue. All of this. Yeah, no. Yeah. I think she just was having a ball the entire time. Mm-hmm. And she just, she leans in really heavy. And I think a lot of it also just comes down to the fact that she's costumed really well. Yeah. Like, they, Kitty is costumed to the nines the entire time. And I just really appreciate how, I, I think the costume's arguably my favorite part of about this. Because even, like, Kate, like... Lita, the Lita is a Plum imagined imagines Lita wearing the same tights that Plum was wearing in like an earlier scene, Mm -hmm. and it's just like this is very good. This is very good, (laughs) and they like switch Fight Club shirts like back and forth a lot as well. Um, After Plum has her awakening, she's wearing like Lita's Fight Club shirt um, like multiple times. And so it's just, it's very good, like, the way that they're layering the costuming on this show. Um, I needed to poke Emma to, like, like yeah. what about this, Emma Fraser? Friend of the show, Emma cost- Fraser. Yeah, <laughs> at Frasbelina. Yeah. Follow her on Twitter. How do you she feel about this? <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just the acting really carried it through, and I really appreciated a lot of that aspect of it. And there's one more person we haven't really mentioned. We have in the past, but not really today. And that's Joy Nash, who's been crushing it as Plum. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. And I've, because she's in pretty much every scene that Margaret Lee's is not in. Mm-hmm. Um, and a few that she is in. Um, but by the back half, none of the scenes Margaret Lee's is in. Um, so much of the show she has to carry, and she carries it just so well. Like, it's a really strong performance. It's a really consistent performance. It's really sympathetic. Even those turns near the end where we kind of go, I don't quite know why Plum is making these decisions from a writing standpoint. That uh, Nash makes make them work, makes them make sense, provides an internal consistency to Plum's actions. And that's that that can cover up any multitude of sins. But... It doesn't cover them up entirely. It just makes them a little easier to deal with. And then there's just the fact that she's just really good. And also, she's really good at voiceover work. And that's one of the key things. Like, if she was bad at voiceover work, this show would not function. And she handles them really well. Yeah, definitely. She's she The voiceovers work way better on the show than they usually do. Yes, yeah. Than they should, yeah. Well, did you have any final thoughts on the season? Or if not, do you, what do you think? Should people seek this out if they haven't seen it yet? I do think that you should seek it out if you haven't seen it yet. I think that there's still a number of really good things within the show, even if the last maybe three episodes or so are messy. But I do think that there's really interesting conversations that the show kind of, can kind of spur you to have with other people. Like, my person and I have had... Um, interesting conversations as a result of this show. And I think that that's probably one of the bigger benefits of it. Um, And 
the conversations you can have around feminism, the conversations that you can have around the idea of a radical discourse and how you change things, I think is one of the central aspects of the sh- in things that the show is very interested in and generally dramatizes fairly well. And the degree to which maybe allies that appear allies aren't, talking to you, Kitty, and <laughs> um, that kind of a thing. So I think that there's really good conversations that the show can spur even if it doesn't necessarily live up to those conversations by the end sometimes. Um, But what about you? Do you think people should seek this out or maybe they should wait to see if it gets a second season and see how season two goes? Uh, I I think I wouldn't rely on that, but um, I would say if, if you're intrigued at all by our conversation, seek it out. And if you're not, then don't, but I, I enjoyed most of the season. I'm glad I watched it. And like you said, I, this is the kind of show that I, would like to be able to have more people to talk about with certainly in person especially um Mm -hmm. and any show that makes me want to discuss it i think is doing something like for interesting reasons as opposed to offended reasons um (laughs) i think is something worth noting and worth trumpeting so yeah i that's i think that's where i'm at with it right now we'll see i think that makes sense and on that note uh, we should wrap up our, our week in TV and our, our Dietland discussion. So thank you as as always, Noel. A few show notes here. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV and last two weeks TV and certainly let us know what you're thinking about Winona Earp and some of these other shows that uh, have just had their finales. You can find us in Facebook, like the page and start up a conversation there. You can also find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we'd appreciate ratings and reviews uh, there. It helps other people find the show. You can also find us in Stitcher with our M4A feed there. And we'd appreciate ratings and reviews there as well. And we are both on Twitter. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And I am, of course, at the Televerse. And you can also find me writing up, uh, recapping and reviewing the Great British Bake Off over at the AV Club. A few more weeks there. So um, click over Saturday mornings is are when those go live. I have thoughts, listeners, about uh, the Biscuits episode. As Noel is very well aware, I have opinions on cookies and biscuits. So um, more we all have opinions about cookies. And, biscuits, <laughs> and I still owe you cookies. Don't think I've forgotten. I have not forgotten. It's just, it's been a busy few weeks. You but, have. You you went to Comic-Con and then you went yes, to Reunion but, and then you've been making small children's hands bleed. Yes, that too. It's fun. Yeah, good times. We know how to have fun here at the Televerse. And we will be back next week for more fun. So thank you, Noel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.